Well, if you are visiting with us this morning, my name is Edgar Momo, and I serve as an associate pastor here at ZF. Let me start again, as Bob has already wished you a Happy New Year. Let me also lend my voice to that to wish you a Happy New Year, because today is the second day of the year 2022. After that, now allow me also to refresh your memories or perhaps dampen your spirit with some of the headlines that made the news in the previous year or two. And bear with me for a very good reason. The U.S. faces a huge supply chain crisis. COVID is still c continues to ravage the nation. A new COVID uh, strain, Delta, was discovered, and another strain, Omicron, is on the rise. The U.S. economy is facing a massive inflation in 39 years, and it is not transitory. Suicide rates was reported as the number one cause of teenage death in the U.S., and many U.S. cities are besieged by crime with a massive increase of 30% of homicide rates. Devastating natural disasters ravage multiple states. Adult depression rates jumped from 8.5% pre-pandemic to 32.8% in 2021. That is one out of every three adults in the U.S. is experiencing some kind of depression. And concerns about critical race theory being taught in our public schools put so many parents on edge, and school board meetings became fiascos. And needless to remind you that the effects of the COVID-19 still lingers on and it looms large in our daily lives. Perhaps on a personal level, you face devastating experiences in the past year or two as well such as the loss of a loved one or a doctor's report that hits you like a wrecking ball or you experience strained relationships or had, a financial, had some financial worries and many other kinds of challenges. These are not uncommon. Or these are very common realities as we go through life. Whether we are a Christian or not, we face daily challenges that tend to throw us off balance. It is in the context of this analogous realities that, that uh, Paul, in his day, wrote the text that we are about to delve in this morning. Although in some form, the original reader's experiences or realities may be different in nature to our present-day realities. The title of this message is A Living Life of Prayer. A Living Life of Prayer. And we would explore three points this morning. I would focus more especially on verses 6 and 7 as our main focus. But we will also touch on verses 4 and 5. And the first point we will deal with this morning is a command that shows us what not to do. We'll see that in verse uh, 6a, and we will look at an exhortation that tells us what to do and how to do it. 
that is verse 6b. And lastly, we would look at a promise that is the benefits of living by the command and the exhortation. Please pray with me. Father, we thank you this morning that whatever our struggles or fears and anxieties may be, we have come to the throne of grace where you have promised to give us mercies and grace to help us in a time of need such as this. Father, we admit that more often than not, we worry a lot. We are anxious a lot about so many things of life than put our trust in you. This morning, help us to experience you in a new way that we will believe that your word is true. In Jesus' name we pray. So please read with me from Philippians chapter 4. If you do not have a Bible, you will find one right in front of you. And if you do not have a Bible that you call your own, you can take that home with you. I'll read from Philippians chapter 4, verse 4 to 7. The Bible says, Rejoice always in the Lord. And again, I say, rejoice. Let your reasonableness be evident to all, because the Lord is near. Do not be anxious about anything, but in, but, but in everything, by prayer and petition, with thanksgiving, make your requests made known to the Lord. And the peace of God, which surpasses, or your version may say, and the peace of God which surpasses all understanding will rule your hearts and your mind in Christ Jesus. When Paul wrote this, he opened verse 4, as you, may, you have just seen, with a strong imperative for his readers. He says here, Rejoice in the Lord always. Again, I will say rejoice. And when Paul wrote this, he was not on vacation in a pressing location or on sabbatical, you know, to concentrate on his writings. But when Paul wrote this, he was in prison, either in Ephesus or in Rome. And rather than complaining of focusing on his incarceration for the sake of the gospel, Paul rather chose to exhort the believers to rejoice in the Lord always. As if that was not enough, he repeated himself. And again, I say rejoice. And in verse 5, he used another imperative, calling on his readers to be reasonable or gentle, and the verse reads, let your reasonableness or gentleness be evidence to all. And he goes on to give a reason for it. He says, because the Lord is near. There is no common or firm agreement among scholars or readers of the Bible of what he meant by this to say, the Lord is near. Probably he was referring to the presence of the Lord being around us at all times, as Jesus himself promised us, I will never leave you nor forsake you. Or perhaps he was also ref referring to the fact that the eminence of his second coming is near. 
But whatever the situation or assumption would be, these two are not uh, mutually exclusive. And but the more important thing that we would want to really ask ourselves from here, what is the message that he has for us? You see, I'm not always gentle or reasonable or forbearing with my wife, with my children, with my extended family members, and even outsiders. But as Christ followers, we are called to seek after the spiritual fruit of gentleness, along with all the other fruits that the Bible tells us. Because with gentleness and kindness, I think we could address many of our relationship problems. We will heal many wounds and prevent many conflicts, especially in this milieu of our divided nation. And above all, we may win the hearts of many to the Lord through gentleness. The Bible tells us in Proverbs 15 verse 1, it says, A gentle answer turns away wrath, but a harsh word stirs up anger. ESV says, um, a soft answer turns away wrath. That being said, this does not mean that we are called to be overly docile to the point of carrying ourselves about like a, like in a wimpish demeanor like a dishcloth. That's not what the Bible is telling us here. Rather, we are called to be known for a kind of willed and self-effacing kindness extended toward others in speech, in attitude, and in action. We should not always seek to project ourselves or our own viewpoints to the extent that we may win the argument but lose the person. Win the argument and lose a friend. You see, I think I need a good drink of this every day. What about you? Do you? Is your gentleness evident to all? Do people see you and see Christ in you? In verses 6 and 7, which we will spend more time on this morning as our focus, gives us two other imperatives, or three imperatives in fact. But 6 says, do not be anxious. All in all, Paul gives these imperatives. Number one, rejoice in the Lord always. And second, show gentleness or real reasonableness. And third, do not be anxious about anything. And here is a quick observation, though, that I need to make. Although these imperatives may seem to be linked to each other in the frame of Paul's address, they are grammatically independent of each other. What do I mean by that? Paul did not mean to say, first, you have to always rejoice as a Christian, then be gentle, then you should not be anxious. It's not in that sequence. He wasn't trying to address something sequentially. However, while these imperatives are apparently independent from each other, Paul probably meant to discreetly address something with each element. And it could be argued that when the ethical framework is considered in tandem with what Paul's overarching 
theme is for the book of Philippians, which is the joy of the Christian experience in the face of opposition, it is safe to say that they are functionally related. Three different imperatives. If you look at it from the Greek perspective, they are not linked. But if you look at it in the framework of what Paul is trying to say, you will see that functionally they are related. In other words, Paul was uh, exhorted his readers that even though many, they, they may face hardship as Christians, we should not let the joy of the Lord or our joy in the Lord be determined by those challenges or trials. Hence, his emphasis on the word joy or rejoice is repeated 16 times in this book. He says, again, I say rejoice, even in the verse that we just read a while ago. And what is the prescription of the dose of Christian joy in this verse? What do you see Paul is saying? Paul says, always. Rejoice in the Lord always. Not sometimes, not in some circumstances. A joy pill in the morning and one in the evening and you are okay. Paul says, when you would have thought that you have finished the cycle, he says, start it all over again. And again, I say, rejoice always in the Lord. I'm aware that this naturally begs the question, whether it is possible for us as Christians to always be joyful or rejoicing. My guess is, as you are asking that question, you may be thinking of joy in the sense of emotional feeling of pleasure and happiness in our daily circumstances. That may be partially correct. But we should note here that Paul specifically put a parameter around the joy he's talking about. And what did he say? He says, rejoice in the Lord. So there is a parameter around what he is speaking of. And what does that mean for us? This means that this joy or act of rejoicing cannot be acquired outside of the Lord. Nothing can give you that kind of joy. No amount of wealth that you amass can give you that kind of joy. No new job that you may have. Not even your family. Nothing in this world can give you that kind of joy that Paul is talking about here. It is only found in the Lord. And it is not based on emotional feelings or happenstances. Rather, it is firmly rooted in the knowing that regardless of what we may encounter in our daily lives, be they trouble or hardship, or persecution or famine, or nakedness or danger, Paul says none of these should impact our joy in the Lord. Doesn't he pose in Romans chapter 5, chapter 8, verse 5, saying that none of these, regarding to the foregone, none of these is adequate, is able to separate us from the love of God. No persecution, no famine, no hunger, no danger can separate us from the love of God. Friends, this then lands us to verse 6 and 7 which we are focusing on this morning. These two verses communicate to us how to live and maintain the joy of the Lord. And that secret 
is through a life, a living life of prayer. So the first point here is that the command, what is the command that Paul gives us? That is what not to do, verse 6a. And as I alluded to it, you know, while I was reading that Paul opened verse 6 with a striking command, do not be anxious about anything. When Paul wrote this again, he was aware that his imprisonment may present disheartening feelings of setback for the believers in Philippi. They were genuinely concerned about him. He even commended them for being concerned about him. He knew. Well, however, he intentionally focused on the theme of joy throughout the book as a model for the believers that it is possible to keep our joy in the Lord even in the midst of difficulties. It is possible. Because Paul is a very good example here. You are worried about me. I'm in prison. I may lose my life. But here I tell you, rejoice in the Lord. Always. And again, I say rejoice. So in other words, Paul was practically entreating his readers to live anxiety-free lives in the face of their adversities. I know such an admonition especially could be especially disarming for our current generation, which tends to view worries and anxieties as our natural, reasonable response to everyday situations that are beyond our control. What do you do when things are going wrong? You start worrying about it. We have enough reasons to worry. Even when we try not to worry, worry pursues us, or anxiety pursues us everywhere we go. We only need to tune in to the evening news, open our emails on Monday morning, and see the avalanche of emails. Many of them are not something you're going to rejoice over. Or we just need to grab our phones first thing in the morning, or for you teens, log on to your Instagram or your Snapchat or any other social media and see the comments that have been left on the post that you just posted last night. And then you realize that there's a lot to worry about. What about the test results of your most recent doctor's visit? What about financial insecurity? And the list, at least, in the list of all of these, what about tomorrow? Even though the Bible says we should not worry about tomorrow because tomorrow will worry about itself. And I always like to summarize this. Wait until tomorrow to worry about tomorrow. Wait. Don't worry about tomorrow. Tomorrow will come. You worry about tomorrow. When our current society, you know, we live in this kind of um, atmosphere where we have been squeezed and we have been kind of conditioned to worry about everything. And sometimes we even worry about not worrying. And we worry why we are not worrying about what we should be concerned about, a.k.a. worry. You know, that may sound exaggerated, but you know, you get my point, what I'm trying to say here. To this end, Paul is saying to us, Christians, those who have been born into the family of God, that when it comes to the things that may cause us anxiety or worries, we should resist the temptation of going down the rabbit trail of what I consider as the two most dangerous words or that fuels anxiety 
And those two words are, what if? What if? What if the situation does not change? Triggers worry. What if the test result is cancerous? What if we run out of money? What if I lose my job? What if my health fails? What if? What if? What if? And by the time you've gone through all of that, you realize that you are more anxious than you even began. So what if I consider them a very dangerous? And so to all of these, Paul says, do not be anxious about anything. And by anything, he seriously meant nothing. He's not even saying this or that. He says nothing. Do not be anxious about anything. But you will be right, though, to question, how is this possible? So this then leads us to the next point that spells out Paul's solution of living an anxiety or worry-free life. So he gives the command, do not worry. But he does not leave us just guessing what to do next. In verse 6b, it says, gives us an exhortation. And what does he say here? He says here, but in everything, by prayer and, so, and petition, with thanksgiving, present your request unto God. So first, Paul tells his readers what not to do. And follows that up by telling them what to do. So the alternative he gives here is probably the best antidote ever for anxiety and worry. Listen to what Paul is trying to tell us here. is the antidote to worrying or being anxious. And that antidote clearly stated here is prayer. Prayer. By everything, do not be anxious but by prayer. And so he's inviting us to this secret by which we are able to appropriate God's grace into our lives. And he backed that up with three other elements. He says, with petition, thanksgiving, and request, made them known to the Lord. So let us zero in on prayer for a minute. Why did Paul categorically prescribe prayer in place of anxiety? The simplistic answer I could come up with is this. Prayer works. That's the most simple answer to it. Prayer works. Prayer works away many of our worries. But Tim Keller gives a more elaborate response here that I just want to quote for us here. Tim Keller says, Prayer is how God gives us so many of the unimaginable things he has for us. Indeed, prayer makes it safe for God to give us many of the things we most desire. It is the way we know God, the way we finally treat God as God. And prayer is simply the key to everything we need to do and be in life. That is the extended version of the fact that prayer works. And Paul is inviting us to this. Prayer helps, us to prayer helps to ignite our joy. It helps to ignite hope in us, confidence in us, and trust in the Lord that he is able to handle our situations. And by the way, such knowing is incompatible with anxiety. You would not know truly that God is in control of your life and you are anxious. 
Both are like water and oil. They don't mix. They are incompatible. Show me someone who is really trusting the Lord, who spends time to communicate his or her desires to the Lord. And I will show you someone who is not living in the land of anxiety. They are incompatible. It's not about you. It's not your ability. But God himself does it. You put your trust in him. You would not live in anxiety all the time. In other words, joy and anxiety do not mix, as I have said. And no wonder Nehemiah says in chapter 8, verse 10, he says, for the joy of the Lord is my strength. The joy of the Lord is my strength. By prayer, we are able to cast all our anxieties onto the Lord because he cares for us, as Peter reminds us in 1 Peter 5, verse 7. And there is no burden too big that God is unconcerned about. No burden too small that God does not take notice of. Whatever it is, God cares about them. And we can bring them unto him. And that is why Paul says, in everything by prayer. And yet again, he meant everything. Not some big things or medium-range issues, but even the mundane. God cares about them. And Paul says, cultivate the habit of praying about everything. And please, I want you to get this. And if you don't, you forget everything that I am saying here this morning, get this. Anything that is worth being anxious about is worth being prayed for even the more. And I'll repeat that. Anything that is worth being anxious about is worth being praying about even the more. And that should trigger our anxiety should always be an early warning sign to us that it's time to pray. It's time to talk to God about the situation. So when you are concerned about your health, pray. When a child seems to be walking away from the Lord, pray. When you feel lonely and need a friend, pray. When the cares of this world are waging war upon you, pray, my friend. When you are about to give up because your strength is failing, you pray. When you are depressed and need comfort, pray. When you feel lost and lonely and hopeless in the face of all the worries of this life, pray. And when you do not know what tomorrow holds, pray. I tell my family that the most treasured and valuable plaque in our home is a wooden piece. And the piece is uh, there's an inscription on, this, on, on that piece that always just speaks to my heart. It says, I do not know what tomorrow holds, but I know the one who holds tomorrow. I do not know what tomorrow holds, but I know the one who holds tomorrow. Friends, those words inspire me so much that whenever the worries of tomorrow ambush me and want me to be anxious, I redirect those worries by trusting in the, in the Lord through prayer. To the one whom this, of whom the psalmist said, he is my refuge and my fortress, my God in whom I trust. God in whom I trust, he's my refuge. In Psalm 91 verse 1 to 2. This does not imply that God will always answer our prayers as we tailor them. He doesn't. But I can assure you of this one thing. That he is always listening and he can come to our rescue if we take him by his word. He is God. 
He can do it. He is the one who gave the command. Do not worry. So take your worries to him and see what he can do with those worries. Here's the question I would love to ask, but I will ask it in D.A. Carson's tone. And quote, when was the last time you prayed explicitly and at length over things that worry you, things that trouble you, things that plague you? Did you take them out and recount them to God one by one, laying your burdens on him? Did you? When was the last time? So what prevents us from approaching our Heavenly Father with all the issues that I started with? Our nation is going through a whole lot of things, enough to make us concerned, enough to burden you. What is stopping us? The hymn writers say, oh, what a peace we often forfeit. Oh, what needless pains we bear. All because we do not take it to the Lord in prayer. What is it? Is it time? Is it our busyness? Is it a fear that he will not listen to us? Or is it sheer lethargy that we can trust God with our lives? It is about time in this season of renewal that to cultivate the habit of seeking the face of your heavenly Father about everything. Yes, you heard me right. About everything. Whatever it is. Do not leave anything. This is important. Let God start them out. Let God say, this is important to me. This is not important. You know nothing. I know nothing. He says, bring everything to me in prayer. And that is why Paul calls you know, that's what Paul calls petitioning God. And while you are still there petitioning God, Paul adds that, thank him before and even after for only what he can do as you make your request made known to God. And as your request, you are making your request made known to God, be enamored by this assurance of his sovereignty and wise judgment. He would not fail. Here is how a favorite hymn of mine sums this point up. It says, verse 1 says, Sweet hour of prayer, sweet hour of prayer, that calls me from a world of care and builds me at my Father's throne. Make all my wants and wishes known. In seasons of distress and grief, my soul has found relief and oft escaped the tempter's snare by that return, sweet hour of prayer. And our last point Paul gives here, says to us here, is the promise. The benefit of living by those two, the command and the exhortation. So Paul concludes here by saying that he gives this very glowing, rewarding, and assuring promise in verse 7. And the peace of God, which surpasses all understanding, will rule your mind and heart in Christ Jesus. The peace of God 
What is more worth than that? And so Paul did not leave us guessing, giving us commands and exhorting us, but he assures us that the peace of God will be with us. I could speak for hours on this verse due to my personal experience during some of the most trying times in my life. And people of God, I can boldly attest that God is indeed faithful. He is faithful. And by the way, we are not talking here about positive psychology, but we are talking about a real God who shows up in the midst of our struggles and difficulties to grant us peace beyond human understanding. That's the God we're talking about. Having to come across Christians who, for example, loses a child in a tragic manner or someone very close to them. And you wonder, how would they ever recover from that loss? Then suddenly you see them begin to glory in the Lord even amidst of their trials. Or you might have as well been in some deep, deep, deep turmoil. And you wondered how you would ever rise up from this. Then suddenly you begin to feel some kind of joy inside of your heart. That is the peace of God, friends. It's beyond your circumstances you cannot understand. For Jesus himself, just before he left, told his disciples, Peace I leave with you. My peace I give. I do not give you as the world gives. Do not let your hearts be troubled. And do not be afraid. In closing, here is the verse, a second verse of that hymn that I just quoted to us. It says, sweet hour of prayer. Sweet hour of prayer. The joys I feel. The bliss I share. Of those whose anxious spirits burn. With strong desires for thy return. With such I hasten to the place where God, my Savior, shows his face. And gladly take my station there and wait for thee, sweet hour of prayer. Here is what you could take away that we have learned from this text today. Number one, this text does not deny that anxieties exist. Rather, it teaches us what to do with our worries and anxieties. It's not a denial. Second, this text does not also tell us that if only we have the right mindset or personality, we can live above tension. Rather, it teaches us where to find strength and grace to help us in our time of need. And third, this text also teaches us that Christ is the ultimate giver of true rest and peace from the worries of this world and a hope of eternal life. You can know that peace today if you're here and have not experienced that peace. You can. And lastly, this text shows us that a living life of prayer is possible because if we learn to pray each time we are tempted to worry or be anxious, we will cultivate a life that is heavily dependent on the Lord because anxieties and troubles and worries are always going to be here. But for you, the child of God, your ESC on that keyboard, escape button, click on it. Prayer draws you to your Father's throne and the peace of God that surpasses all understanding will rule your heart and minds in Christ Jesus. Let us pray. 
Father, we thank you for this promise. And we will go into this year believing you that your word is true. That whatever you have said, you are able to do. And I pray that we shall truly experience you in this measure. In Jesus' name.